This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast is brought to you by Fly Racing. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass Podcast presented by Fly Racing. On this show, we're going to preview the 2021 Moto3 World Championship. Steve English, David Emmett, Adam Wheeler and Neil Morrison on the show. And Neil, it's actually about time you came back onto the show. We need a Moto3, Moto2 expert. (laughs) <laughs> yes, exactly. Dave Emmett isn't going to win you any prizes with his uh, Moto3 knowledge, it has to be said. So uh, glad to come in and sub for the team and uh, yeah, help out with this one. Dave, there are motorbikes in Moto3. That's right, isn't there? Uh, apparently, that's what I've been told. Um, um, I'm prepared to believe it if, uh, if that's what people tell me. But uh, yeah, it's the, uh, it's the droning noise um, uh, uh, first thing in the morning. That's what I know about Moto3. Ah, well, I'll tell you what, Dave, our listeners will have a lot of sympathy considering they have to put up with our droning voices all the way through the show. <laughs> but, uh, Ad, we're looking forward to the Moto3 World Championship. Obviously, the season's kicking off this week out in Qatar, and there's a lot of reasons why everyone should be pretty excited about this class race. And we always see close races, we always see the young riders coming through, but this year really looks like we could have a bit of a shake-up of the order with so many riders having stepped up to Moto2. Dave, but first, back up because this is the first recording we've done with Neil after we've done our Patreon special predicting three world champions in 2021. So I would like to know, Mr. Neil Morrison, what is your Moto2, Moto3 and MotoGP world champion pick? Before Neil comes in, before Neil comes in, everyone can get his views for free because he didn't show up last week for the pod, but you'll have to pay $3 a month to listen to myself, Dave, or Adam. Although seeing as we've already discounted ourselves as experts in Moto3 and Moto2, it might just be the MotoGP one people want to listen to. But Neil, who's your three world champions? Firstly, Steve, are you saying that my uh, predictions aren't worth $3 a month? Is that what you're saying? Uh, I'm saying none of this content is worth $3 a month at times, Neil. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's that's entirely reasonable, I would say, Steve. Uh, okay, so I would quickly have to say Darren Binder in Moto3, Marco Bezzecchi in Moto2, and Mark Marquez in MotoGP. I don't understand the Marquez. I just don't understand. He's missed like a whole season and he's broken his arm. And it's, it's, it's oh. Marquez. It's Mark Marquez. I'd... Yeah, you're the, you're the king until you're not the king. And, you know, Mark's still Mark, still Mark Marquez. Yeah, he's he's got a large uh, Saxon rings type hill to climb up. I think to, to you know to get that championship back. I mean, he hasn't even done any laps on his own bike yet. But add, it's downhill at Mar- uh, it's, uh, at the Saxon ring, not uphill. Except for that last turn, Dave. Well, yeah. Dave, what's the uh, <laughs> what's that uh, downhill turn at the Saxon ring called, and who came up with it? And, uh... <laughs> it was uh, Toby Moody who um, correctly named it the Waterfall, which I think is a rather magical name for it. So um, uh, kudos to Toby for doing that. Well, let's get on to some magical Moto3 action for the 2021 season. And Neil, we're going to come to you first because just to give all of our listeners a little bit of a rundown on the class, just tell us about the bikes in the class and the differences between the Honda, the KTM, and obviously we've also got like Husqvarna and Gas Gas bikes in the class this year as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've got uh, four manufacturers now in Moto3 in 2021, but um, really we only have two because Gas Gas and uh, Husqvarna are basically rebranded KTMs. They're just uh, ways in which KTM have thought of um, promoting the different brands that they own. Gas Gas and uh, Husqvarna are obviously two of those. Um, so yeah, when Fanati won last year in Misano, it was it was a KTM victory, but it goes down as a different manufacturer. We saw something similar with, uh, I think, um, Gilera back in the day and Derby as well in the 125 class. Um, and yeah, you would say that, I mean, I think from the start of Moto3, back in 2012, there was a pretty distinctive difference between the, the Honda and the, the KTM machines. Um, the Honda was a very uh, manageable and smooth bike. You were able to carry tons of corner speed with that. But the KTM was um, a bit more particular. You had to brake very hard, accelerate hard to get the best out of it. Had a bit more grunt than the Honda. Um, and obviously, there's been a bit of a change to this dynamic in the last couple of years. Um, but I would say in 2020, both of those kind of philosophies almost kind of merged together. Um, the Honda has got pretty good grunt and uh, pretty good top speed. And the KTM has actually worked on its handling quite a lot. So um, I would say there's not a great deal of difference between the two bikes at the moment. And I think that shows with the racing because the racing is just always close. And it doesn't really matter what bike you're on, what team you're in. You can be up there fighting at the front. Well, let's talk about one rider. Obviously, we've got an interview with Darren Binder later in the show, and Binder actually makes a, a nice 
talking point on this topic as well because he switched from a KTM to a Honda. What's the big challenge for a rider having to do that? Um, I would say you have to, I mean, it's just, um, you know, there's still some different um, aspects to both bikes. You have to relearn some aspects, how to brake, um, where your braking markers are, how to position your body. Um, but um, yeah, I think Darren Binder can probably explain it a little better than I can. Um, and uh, why don't we take a listen to what he had to say about this right now? We are here with Darren Binder of the Patronus Sprinter Racing Team. Darren, well, welcome to the show. And this is going to be a big year for you, sure, surely. Yeah, 100%. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, yeah, this year is definitely a big year for me. You know, I've been in uh, Moto3 for a while and uh, I feel like this is uh, definitely the best opportunity I've had so far. And uh, I'm really, after finishing last year off quite strong, I'm really looking forward to picking up where I left off and uh, really looking to have a strong year. I mean, it looked like you you seemed to make quite a big step last year um just in terms of consistency and everything and obviously the win that that made a big uh, that was i mean it'd been coming for a while but then to finally get it um talk us through last year well, how, how did it all go yeah you know coming into last year i knew that i had to make some changes in the way i was riding and things and uh one of the big things for me last year i knew i had to be more consistent you know stop crashing and uh I just wanted to be more more consistent and more in the front, you know, and try and ride a lot cleaner because in the past I'd uh, kind of gained a reputation as a, a bad rider in some races and uh, I wanted to try and clear and clear that all up, you know. I want to be in, I want to be fighting in the front, fighting for victories and I want to eventually make my way to MotoGP. Darren, there was, um, you know, you came through the Mahindra kind of a school of graduation in Moto3 uh, and like had a couple of full seasons really before people could see your potential. Um, you talked about, uh, why was that? I mean, why did it take those those period of years really to, to make a splash in Moto3? Was it about maturity or just a skill set thing? Yeah, you know, um, for sure, starting on the Mahindra was difficult, you know. I feel like when I came into Moto3 from Red Bull Rookies Cup, I feel like I came in a bit soon uh, to start off, I only did two years in Rookies Cup and that was my first ever overseas like experience, you know. And then I got the opportunity to go into World Championships. So obviously, I jumped at it, but I feel like that first year was such a big learning curve for me because I'd never worked with uh, bikes with telemetry and data and all that. So I had so much to learn and it was that was already difficult. And then riding a Mahindra at the time, which wasn't the most competitive bike and the most easy bike to ride, it was, it definitely took me time to, to find my feet. And then, I mean, when I first jumped on a KTM in 2017, I, I, I started coming strong at the beginning of the year and uh, I landed up signing a deal to move on to iron that. And I really thought from there on, you know, this is it. I found my feet. I'm going to, pick up and start going forward and then yeah I, I ended up hurting myself twice at the end of 2017 I missed like six races or something and when I came into 2018 I just I wasn't where I was at the beginning of 2017 and things just didn't work out the way I would have liked them to have been uh, in 2018 and I really struggled that year and it took me really long to find my feet but I, I was really lucky that uh, I managed to to get a ride with CRP for 2019. And then um, at the end of 2018, I actually landed up getting my first podium. And then, yeah, I mean, 2019 was just an up and down year. I just didn't, I didn't really find like myself super comfortable on that bike. And as much as I was competitive, a lot of the time I was overriding to be in the front and it just cost me, you know, and I kept crashing and that. So last year, the main goal was just to, to be more consistent and, you know, just kind of tone it down to, to, to go forward, you know, and, uh, yeah, I ticked off a lot of boxes that I needed to tick off last year. You know, I got my first win, my first poll, uh, you know, I had my best season by such a long way. I finished eighth in the championship and I still made some mistakes. So I just want to mini minimize those mistakes this year. And, uh, I think I can be, be a front runner for sure. Obviously, you're switching uh, uh, to the Honda uh, the, this year. How how do you see that? Because obviously, you're going to need to change your style again. It, everything is different. Is is different. Being in a good team really really helps. One of the best teams in the paddock. 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, you know, switching from a KTM to a Honda is definitely uh, probably the, the hardest part of it, you know. But uh, yeah, I'm really happy. I've really enjoyed the bike. I mean, I'm really comfortable on it already. So obviously having a, such a good team behind me and a, obviously a good teammate is always such a positive thing to have, you know. So it's such, it's such a good thing this year to have John as my teammate. And then obviously the Patronus team, they've been around. They know exactly where the bike's at and that. And uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's still a motorbike, you know, it might not be the same manufacturer, but it's still a, still just a bike and uh, just got to get on and get comfortable and make the most of it. Darren, while you're in a, a team that offers you a route, theoretically, to MotoGP, um, did you have to think twice about jumping out of kind of the KTM stream of things? I mean, especially with your brother making a bit of a trailblaze all the way through there. You know, the thing for me last year was I really wanted to go to Moto2, so that was my my main goal at the beginning of last year, I wanted to try and get some good results in, in the beginning and, uh, and get, uh, get on a Moto2 because I feel like I'm a little bit big and a little bit heavy for, for Moto3. But, uh, when the Patronus uh, offer came around, I mean, I just couldn't pass it up, you know, obviously, like you said, they've got the, the route the whole way through to MotoGP and it's such a, that's such a good thing. I mean, if you can go and do well with them and I could potentially go all the way with them, I mean, that's something so great. I mean, obviously, my brother did it with KTM, but yeah, I mean, to, if I could do it with Patronus, I'd, it would be awesome. So to go to stay in Moto Three with them was a was a no brainer for me, and I'm really really happy. Uh, I know you mentioned your brother. It must be um, a bit of a pain sometimes to always be compared to your brother, to be talking about your brother. I mean. Obviously, you don't know any different because you've always had your brother there. But you see, how do you view him? Do you uh, is being viewed as the brother of annoying? And do you uh, how do you see y yourself going? Or is he an inspiration to, to to let you know that you know you can do it? You can make it all the way to do a MotoGP. You know, I really don't mind being compared to him at all. I mean, obviously, we are two completely different people, and. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it, it's only positive for me to, to see what he's done and what he's achieved. It's just, it's like inspiring to me and it's motivation, you know. It's so good to, to have him there and he's always willing to help me when he can and however he can. So, yeah, I mean, obviously we're going to go our different paths and hopefully we land up in the same place one day. I mean, I want to catch up to him and be in MotoGP one day with him. But, uh, yeah, I mean... You can't really compare us as riders. I think we're two very different riders. And at the end of the day, we've both got the same goal in mind. So, yeah, I'm really, it's, it doesn't bother me at all to, to be his younger brother. I mean, if anything, it's, it's a good thing. Uh, obviously, you come from South Africa and South Africa in the past produced lots of great races. Um, it's much more difficult now. Um, how was that journey coming from South Africa to actually racing in Europe? I know, I mean, you know, you basically had to move over to Europe to compete. Yeah, so, I mean, coming from, from South Africa was never easy, you know, but that was one of the, the really good things about having an older brother. He kind of went around and uh, saw where to go and where not to go and which was the best way forward. So by the time I was coming through, I knew exactly what I needed to do. You know, I didn't have to go and race all these different championships to know kind of which way was the, the good way. So, yeah, fortunately, the way my brother did it was Red Bull Rookies Cup was the, the way he went forward. So then, uh, yeah, I was fortunate enough to make that. And then from there, I stepped up into World Championship with a team that he left. So they had a, a seat open and they were like, okay, we'll take the younger brother, you know. So, yeah, that was pretty cool and uh, it worked out. But, yeah, it was never easy coming from South Africa. And uh, without my parents, it would have been really difficult. They sacrificed so much to, to get me and my brother over there. And, uh, you know, if you look back now, it was 100% all worth it. And I uh, can't thank them enough for everything they've done for us. How are you, how are you different as riders, Darren? Like uh, in terms of style on the bike? I think my brother's a little bit more clean cut than I am. You know, he... Uh, I think he he's, yeah, I don't know. He's a little bit more precise when I'm the kind of guy that I sometimes let it hang out a little bit too much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, 
if you look at us, I think our style is quite different. I, just from what I've seen, you know, like when I ride behind him and stuff, I look at him and I think, okay, we don't look the same on the bike. But uh, yeah, we're definitely a bit different. I mean, my brother can also be quite an aggressive rider when he needs to be. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's we've definitely both got some different traits. Um, you know, just in the last couple of, sorry, accelerating, you know, to sort of present day, really, uh, in the last couple of years, we've heard, heard the term, you know, dive bomb binder quite a bit from TV commentators, you know, some of your moves. And you said, you know, you wanted to kind of clean things up a little bit. And, and, you know, there was a bit of a, a bad name. I think you, you were the words you used. I mean, to draw a parallel to somebody like Justin Barcia in Supercross, uh, you know, a guy with a nickname of Bam Bam, uh, even a, like a similar hairstyle, you could say. Uh, you know, is, 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 is there, um, you know, he, he wanted to shed a little bit of that Bam Bam kind of name a few years ago. You know, is, are you conscious of the fact that you want to do things cleaner on the track or you, you want to, I don't know, uh, still keep some of your style, but transform a little bit the way, some of your race craft? I don't know. You know, I think one thing to be aggressive, it can be a good thing, but to be too aggressive can can be a be a bad thing you know and um one of the things like just some of the moves i did that either cost me to crash or i've had incidents with other riders you know which gave me kind of a bad name so that's what i mean by like i wanted to try and clean it up you know it's always good to have that aggressiveness in you so that you're able to fight and not not get bullied around but it's it's to a certain point you know i just want to not be too aggressive and i definitely when i'm riding you know i'm trying to think you know just be calm don't do anything silly wait for the last laps and that's when you can you can be aggressive you know you don't have to you can't win the race on the first lap uh you talked about your uh, you know riding behind your brother and watching it and i mean obviously everyone wants to end up in MotoGP at some point talking about that style that you have is there a MotoGP bike that you think i could ride that um, that's the bike that would suit my style because like the Honda and the KTM, you need to be more aggressive. The Yamaha, you have to be really, really, uh, uh, really smooth. You know, honestly, yeah, that's really difficult to say. I mean, I really don't know what those bikes are like to ride. It's, it's super easy to sit here and say, oh, I think I could ride that. But, you know, I think they're all motorbikes at the end of the day. They've all got their strong points and weak points. And as a rider, you just got to adapt to whatever the bike needs, you know, and, uh, I feel like I would be more than happy to to climb onto to any MotoGP bike to give it a go. <laughs> Darren, uh, just just one more question for me. Um, you know, people around the world see the Moto3 races and and they look absolutely chaotic, uh, crazy, dangerous, uh, thrilling. I mean, what's it like to be stuck sometimes in that group of up to 15 riders or going through for the lead, you know, like entering turn one at Mugello at crazy speeds? I mean, sometimes are you kind of holding your breath a little bit because some of the, the close contact and proximity you're in? What's it like? Yeah, you know, sometimes it can be quite nerve wracking. I mean, uh, you feel completely in control compared to what it looks like on the TV for sure. I mean, like, obviously, you know what's going on, but yeah, like those races at Mugello that straight so long so it can pan out like four or five abreast before the first corner. And it can get a little bit nerve-wracking, but, you know, everybody's trying to keep their nose clean and not do anything silly. So, yeah, you just got to you got to try and be as clean and think around and know what's going on around you. And, uh, yeah, one of my favorite things is just to break the, the latest so that I'm in front and not stuck in the back. <laughs> Last question, what's... What's your objective? I mean, uh, obviously, the future is MotoGP. How do you get there from here? What do you need to do this year? You know, my main objective right now is to, to go out this year and be as consistent as possible and try and be on the podium as much as possible. And, uh, you know, those days when you're struggling to still be in or amongst the top five. And uh, my main objective is to get on a Moto2 bike. I really, really want to get on a Moto2 and... Uh, Obviously, that's the next step. You know, I want to have a solid, solid year in Moto3, give it a good run and move up into the Moto2 class. Okay, well, good luck uh, this year. Thanks ever so much, uh, Darren. Look forward to seeing you um, definitely on the uh, on the Patrona Sprinter Honor this year and uh, hopefully on a Moto2 bike next year. Uh, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it too. <laughs>
Great to have Darren Binder on the Paddock Pass podcast. And Adam and Dave, it was two of you that were talking to Darren. And uh, I want to start with you, Ad, because it was interesting to hear how he's tried to put his reputation behind them. You know, when a rider comes into the Grand Prix Paddock, they try and make a reputation really quickly. And Darren's trying to reverse his reputation. He's trying to go from being that bad boy of the paddock to, you know, a much more mature rider. And we saw big steps in that last year. Obviously, winning in Catalonia was the culmination of that. I mean, it's a nice bit of alliteration to say dive bomb Darren all the time, uh, which happened quite a bit in 2020. But, uh, you know, I think as he kind of hinted a little bit in the interview, he's he's been learning his racecraft. Um, and now it's a question of maybe staying out of some of the scrapes that he's found himself in or some of the typical lunges, which, let's be honest, Moto3 is essentially a learning class. I mean, it's... Uh, for one of a more sophisticated analogy, it's like a kindergarten of Grand Prix. Um, you know, these guys are really learning, you know, they're taking some of the stuff they found out in things like the, I'm going to get this right now, Steve, the FIM, Seth, Junior, FIM World Champion, uh, Junior. No! God, you're getting oh. even worse at it, Ad. Oh, it's the FIM CV Repsol Junior World Championship. Oh, I almost had it. One day I'll reach your heights of professionalism. I, th- I think I probably got it wrong that time, actually, to be honest, but like, at least I sound committed to the name. Well, no, you know, series like that, Red Bull MotoGP Rookies Cup, I got that one right. Um, you know, Northern Talent Cup, Asia Talent Cup, these kind of feeder series coming into Moto3, you know, I think the class is an extension of the skills that riders are finding out there. And and Darren, I think, is a good example of someone who's really just trying to, like I said, hone that race craft and find his, his particular space on the track and, and work out his rivals and, and what he can do with a motorcycle. It's been four years now with a KTM. He's jumping on a brand new bike, as we said. So, uh, you know, I think he'll just, he'll mature and develop further. And the fact that Neil's already called him out to be world champion is, is a case in point. Yeah, I was going to say that all of us are actually quite big fans of Darren Bender. And, uh, you know, he earned his reputation and he, he, he definitely earned that reputation as the dive bomber and all these things because he kept doing it. He kept making mistakes. But last year, David, we saw that those mistakes did kind of start to be less and less and he was much more considered at the front of the field there was obviously still some moments where you know the red mist comes down it's moto three but he was certainly a lot more concentrated all the way through the season he seemed that he wasn't making those same mistakes yeah i mean that's one of the things he said in the interview talking about you know needing more consistency and uh, you know consistency was something we saw across all three classes last year it became really really important you really saw you know why that mattered um and uh yeah that was that was really sort of what was important he was to always be there um to try to qualify better to try to be closer to the front to try to just always make sure that he was in that front group and not have to take insane risks to get to to, to make his way forward so i think that for me was the most important lesson i mean it helps that he's got uh as he said like a bigger brother um, someone he can learn from, someone he can uh, he can model himself from, who can who can sort of help him make better decisions. So it's um, yeah, he, he's definitely an interesting rider to watch this year. I mean, we don't know what he's going to be able to do, but he really seemed to make a big step l- uh, last year, and uh, he'll th- this year. I think it's going to be sort of you know a moment of truth for him. He's he's going to have to prove himself. Neil, I want to just ask you a question because obviously for us. We follow the Moto3 class, we talk to the riders, we do a lot within the class and we pay a lot of attention to it, but we don't live and breathe the class like you have to. You obviously are working as a commentator on the world feed for the practice sessions, so you really do need to spend an awful lot more time on the class than everyone else. It's it's natural that when MotoGP is as good as it is, that's where journalists' focus tends to go. But for you, you have to spend a lot of time looking at the class and trying to understand things. But what's been your impression of Binder over the two, three years that you've been working as a commentator in the class um yeah i would say that he's been like his talent has been very obvious from more or less when he came into the class um, he had a couple of decent showings on um a not very fast mahindra back in the day um and then the following year he switched to ktm um and that was 2018 i think and he had a couple of really strong performances early in the year um before getting injured um and you know a few things didn't work out for him. He went to Akiyayo's team in 2018. I think we all thought then that he was going to basically kick on and, and maybe challenge for the championship, and it didn't really happen. Um, and Binder almost had to take a step down, um, return to the CIP team, which is probably the the, the most um, poorly funded Moto3 team in the grid, um, you know, share a crew chief and things like that. And um, it was really there where 
um, we saw him kind of step up. And yeah, I think you were talking about the dive bomb nickname there. I mean, even by Moto3 standards, I think Binder was a bit over the mark sometimes. Like uh, I seem to remember he took out John McPhee in Thailand in 2019. And we, there was a famous photo of McPhee's crew coming onto the pit lane to kind of sarcastically applaud Binder coming back into pit lane because they were just like, you've done it again. Like, what are you doing? He was almost becoming a bit of a liability. And I think he recognized that. Um, but last year, as you mentioned there, Stephen, and I think as David mentioned as well, um, he was more or less always there. Didn't always get the job done, but um, I think we saw him becoming a bit of a consistent performer. And he obviously has the speed. He won the race in Catalonia. Um, and now that he's with one of the most professional Model 3 teams in the paddock, with his own crew, his own crew chief, um, the Honda, which he's never ridden before, um, I think it's a, it's a pretty good package. Yeah, and I think when you look at last season, he started the season off, crashed out in Qatar, taken out in Qatar on the last lap. And then we go to Spain. Qualifying was an issue all the way through the season, really. Obviously, he has a pole position at the end of the year. But, you know, it was always about coming through the pack for Binder. He could always make his way to the front, David. And that was one of those big things that always marks a rider out. He had that ability to to be decisive, make moves. And for the most part last year, actually make them relatively cleanly. Yeah, I mean, the 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 way that you earn a uh, earn the nickname dive bomb is by having the decisiveness to make moves. Um, uh, sometimes those that is that decisiveness is a little bit too much. Um, in other cases, it's the right decision at the right time. And I think um, last year Darren Binder found a really good com- compromise between the two. He found you know he was making decisive uh, you know decisive moves, but he was also qualifying too far uh, too far back. And it's much easier to just stick with the front group if you can start in the front three rows in Moto three rather than have to you know risk getting caught behind a break from about sort of tenth fifteenth uh, uh, position, which which will often happen sort of after the first couple of laps uh, in a Moto three race. Um, it's it, it's really important that you sort of you can stay in this top, I don't know, eight or nine uh, riders f- throughout the race because you don't risk getting caught up in a break. You, you, there's less risk of someone pulling a dodgy move on you, um, and you can just sort of work on your your racecraft because it seems like. A motor three races are almost always decided in the last um, sort of two or three uh, two or three laps. Um, often in the last corner, but usually the last two or three laps and uh, um, positioning yourself and finding the right place is becoming really important. I mean, uh, Steve, you mentioned it a minute ago about this maybe being like Darren's last sort of shot, at, you know, a you know, worthy success in the class. And I think that's one of the interesting themes around Moto3 is how long as a rider do you stay in the competition? I mean, in 2021, you can see riders like John McPhee, uh, you know, Rodrigo's been there a couple of years, and Andrea Migno, you know, these are regular Moto3 riders who kind of wouldn't say have been stuck in the category, but they've been there, they've, they've served, more than served their time. Um, whereas, on the other hand, you've lost riders maybe like Raul Fernandez and uh, Tony Arbolino, proven winners from 2020 who already jumped into Moto2. So, I mean, I don't know what your your guys' opinions are on on when a rider should to quickly jump out of the class. I mean, Jack Miller is a classic example of someone who skipped Moto2 altogether to go straight to MotoGP. And the jury's still out on whether that was a good move or not. I think I'd like when you look at the Moto3 class, especially right now, there's a lot of riders that are in their mid-20s. And it kind of goes against the grain of what the class had been seen to become whenever it switched to four strokes from the 125 class. Like if you think back to the 125 days, you had riders that just stayed in small capacity classes, like Nico Tural, Vazquez, Mazbu. These were riders that on a 125 sort of stuck their time in a 125 and then they gradually got aged out of the class by having a, a maximum age limit. But now you're looking at a lot of riders in this class, like Fanati's 25, he's got you know, 100, uh, 120 starts in Moto3. You know, he's had a lot of podiums, a lot of wins. Antonelli's had 150, 160 starts in Moto3. McPhee's in and around the 150 mark. You know, there's a lot of riders that you look at and you think they have just found a level for themselves. Andre Mino is another example. Like, what age do you think Mino is? He's 25. You know, I wouldn't have thought Mino was 25, but he's been there for what seems like forever. And I think that it's getting to the stage where there's a lot of those riders that are most certainly 
in the last chance saloon. And, you know, the likes of McPhee, we talked about it on the pod before, that, you know, we'd all love to see McPhee win a world championship. But this is his last real opportunity to do that because it's so easy to get yourself phased out and down the grid by just not being able to capitalize on your opportunities. When we talked to Brad Binder, we were talking about it in terms of, you know, there was times whenever you go to the IO squad like he did in 2016 and a bit like Danny Kent the year before, you've got to make sure you win that championship because otherwise you're not going to get another opportunity for it. And I think that's where Moto3 is right now, where you've got some of these really experienced guys. You've got some super talents that are 16, 17 years old in their first year in the championship. So is this the year where those experienced guys can really make that experience count? But just to cut across you, Dave, sorry. Um, you know, how much of how much do you count Moto3 as a category as itself rather than just a, um, you know, a springboard or, or a learning stage? I mean, we see this particularly in MXGP with the age limit on the MX2 class, which is the 250s, before you jump in the Premier class with the 450s. Uh, it's a 23 uh, age ceiling. And it's been very controversial for now for over a decade because there are slow burn riders and there are also riders, you know, in a very physical sport that are simply not quite able to adapt to the bigger motorcycle. Um, you know, how long should a rider really stay on a Moto3 bike? You know, if you get up to 25, there, I know there is an age limit on it. But, you know, if, if a guy is a small cylinder motorcycle racer, why can't he be there his whole career? Somebody like John McPhee is going to be seen as a, a decent investment for a brand or a manufacturer or, or a big team because they're going to see a rider with experience, with um, the necessary success and think, right, he, you know, we want to win that championship this year. With the, there's our guy rather than uh, a 15 year old risk from maybe Indonesia. I think, um, I mean, this is more of a philosophical question rather than anything else. And it's, uh, I think that change happened around, around the time that we switched from, um, 500 to MotoGP because that was the time you used to have these 125 and 250 specialists. I mean, we, you know, we lost a great one just a few weeks ago with Fausto Grassini, who, you know, n never really moved up. Um, you saw some riders move up who, you know, probably shouldn't have. I mean, you know, Max Biaggi is arguably the greatest, uh, 250 rider ever. Um, he was never a, truly great i mean it was he was a great most gp but uh, gp rider but he never really sort of seemed to live up to his potential as a motor gp rider on a bigger bike um you wonder what would have happened if he'd have stayed on the, uh, on 250s things have moved on now it really is uh the, it's very much a funnel system so you know you come into motor three uh, and then you move up to motor two and you move up to motor gp and if you have if you don't have a an age limit uh, on moto three then there is no way to get rid of sort of, you know, the older riders who might be paying riders, for example, um, who are, uh, who are sort of, you know, taking up seats. We could be going to young, young sort of 16, 17 year olds. Um, I think there's an argument for both sides. And I think also, I mean, you're sort of, you can see the way that the class moves on also just by the way that uh, and the riders move on uh, uh, by sort of basically available seats we had sort of uh, suddenly we had a bunch of ducati seats which which fell open at the end of last year because older riders moved on you know andrea dovicioso uh, were uh, a split with ducati uh, ducati decided to get rid of uh, danilo petrucci um um they got rid of tito rabat uh, because they wanted to put young riders on so that that opened up seats in MotoGP that opens up in turn seats in Moto2 and that opens up seats for for riders from Moto3 so it's it's like but do we see see them as as you say separate classes or do we see this as a graduation towards the pinnacle it really feels like we have gone from having three separate grand prix classes to having um um MotoGP and the pathway through to MotoGP yeah, I mean, what you were saying there, Dave, pretty much backs up how KTM see uh, the classes. Uh, like, you know, Darren Binder, of course, moving to the, you know, the Patronus team. Um, KTM have that passageway even all the way through the Northern Talent Cup where, you know, kids in, in Northern Europe, of course, are getting on RC4s uh, or, you know, the Moto3 equivalents of the motorcycles, um, passing through the Red Bull Rookies MotoGP Cup and then coming straight into Moto3, then going through to Moto2. And then, of course, there's four bikes in, in MotoGP. Um, you could see in 2020, Ralph Fernandez, you know, graduated up to Moto2 already. So he's part of that KTM GP Academy. Um, they've drafted in Remy Gardner, of course, just uh, with the KTM IO team just to tackle Moto2. Uh, and Pedro Acosta, of course, the Red Bull uh, Rookies champion, um, you know, has now got a Grand Prix seat for 2021. So KTM are funneling 
you know, the riders through their own system. Um, and it's a little bit unique, I think, in MotoGP. Uh, of course, the two factory riders, well, they're all factory now, but, you know, Brad Binder and Miguel Oliveira have, have, have been through it. So it, it can work. And it's not just um, uh, KTM. You see that with Grassini, who have riders in all three classes. Uh, you, same with Petronas. Uh, you also see teams who have um uh, uh teams in the uh, in the CEV you see them they have it in pre moto 3 in various support classes in the in the Spanish championship and in and in Italy so uh, the teams themselves are creating this sort of funnel of talent with very young riders in you know 12 11 12 13 year olds in the lower classes with the objective of um assessing whether they're going to be make it all the way through offering them a pathway all the way through to MotoGP in the end but just quickly, I mean, part of me likes uh, the fact that you can have class specialists. I mean, you know, Tom Lutzi in Moto2 being an example. I mean, I think if someone can stay in Moto3 for a substantial amount of time and be a, a distinctive Moto3 rider, there's, there's something, you know, kind of romantic about that. Like we said, you know, I throw back to the GP days and, uh, you know, it's nice to see there's maybe a little bit more of experience. I mean, maybe Romano Fernandez is the nearest we get to that now in Moto3, but you know, instead of having just a bunch of, uh, you know, teenagers who, let's face it, probably aren't old enough to buy a drink or even vote in some cases, you know, throwing a motorcycle around Mugello. Uh, maybe I'm just being envious. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. Ad. I mean, I think, um, I think obviously you don't want a lot of old guys clogging up the system and, and taking competitive seats when you could have a, a couple of young kids coming through. But you mentioned the likes of Mino and Antonelli, guys that have had their chance in Model 3 definitely are still around, even though they've maybe flattered to deceive the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, there's still a whole host of new kids coming through. Um, I think just with the way the system is working at the moment, you're always going to have that kind of movement between the classes each year. There's, you know, four or five guys that move up from Moto3 and normally one or two or three or four who move from Moto2 to MotoGP. Um, and yeah, I think it's nice just to have that variety. You don't want everyone in Moto3 to be 17. You know, you want to have a couple of more experienced heads in there. And I think that adds a bit of a, an interesting dynamic to the competition as well. If you are a really strong, fast kid coming through and you're 18 years old, um, yeah, you should have to prove yourself against the likes of Fanati and McPhee, guys that have been around for six, seven years in the class and uh, have seen, you know, most of the things that happen there. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a, it's about kind of maintaining a, a healthy dynamic between experience and, and you know, young, young riders, uh, fresh riders coming through. Neil, you're obviously talking about the Moto3 World Championship there, not this podcast, whenever you say that balance between the older and the young, is it? <laughs> Very much so, Steve. <laughs> um, when we come back after the break, we're going to break down the class entirely and we're going to look at the riders that are returning to Moto3 this year and then some of the young riders that are coming through as well. Fly Racing believes that our most important obligation is to provide the highest performing products to riders worldwide. Offering both on- and off-road products for every price range, Fly Racing is committed to reshaping expectations. Fly Racing revolutionized the off-road world with the Formula Helmet, featuring Rion technology. Visit flyracing.com and at flyracingusa on Instagram to learn more about the innovation that can keep you protected in 2021. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast. And uh, Neil, we're just going to talk about the riders that are coming back to the class. We've obviously discussed it just uh, before the ad break there, but we've got a good mix of experience. We mentioned some of the riders, McPhee, Mino, Antonelli, Finati. There's a lot of experience coming back in the class. Yep, there is. Yeah, um, I guess you mentioned, Steve, that maybe some of those guys are on their, their last chance. Um, I would say, you know, guys, someone like McPhee, someone like Finati, those guys want to step up to Moto2 pretty much as soon as possible. Ideally, they probably would already be in Moto2. Um, so I think they're looking at this as their last chance as well. Someone like Tatsuki Suzuki as well, I think he's pretty keen to move up um, in 2022 to Moto2. So, um, yeah, big year for all of those guys. Um, but you can't help but feel with them. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh here, but, you know, if they were going to do it, they would have done it by now. I have that feeling with some of them. Um, I still think McPhee is going to be a championship challenger this year. Um, whether he'll win it is, uh, you know, is another thing. But, um, yeah, there's, there's pretty 
decent amount of experience in the class this year. Um, and uh, but you know you've got I think five or six really interesting rookies coming in that are going to uh, spice things up. An interesting question to me is the role that physique plays because if you look at um, John McPhee, Romano Fanati, um, they're both quite small. Uh, John McPhee is very slight as well. Um, he fits really well on a Moto three bike, and you wonder how well he would sit on a, uh, he would fit on a Moto two bike when it is uh, you know much bigger, much heavier, much more physical. Um, I mean, there's no doubting his talent. The man is is quite clearly one of the one of the fastest Moto three riders in the world. But I, I wonder how that translates. But then again, you also see. I mean, Anea Bastianini is hardly uh, a giant, and of course, there's Danny Pedrosa, who was you know one of the greatest MotoGP riders of all time, um, and, and absolutely tiny. So it, it's not necessarily so. I just find it really interesting what role that that sort of uh, that, that sort of size and physicality plays for me when it comes to the you know the debate between the riders in the class for 2021 I, i'm quite excited about some of the new guys and who can really make a step forward in terms of results and, and figuring at the front i mean of course we were accustomed to see 10 to 15 rider groups going for grand prix wins but you know people like acosta or you know carlos tate will he be able to progress uh, dennis onchu there's a couple of uh, riders there in only their second season so um i like seeing you know, that Juan Mir type kind of graduation, a far sort of level, you know, it's uh, that that's for me, that's, that's one of the most fascinating parts of Moto3. Well, I think it's one of those ones as well. And like when you're looking to see who could be that rider to come through, you tend to be looking for someone that's in their third, maybe fourth year in the class, David, someone that's got lots of experience, maybe was a winner in CEV or Red Bull rookies. And they just haven't quite hit the heights yet in Moto3 they might have shown flashes and I think that's why it was interesting for us to get Darren Binder as our guest on this week's show just to be able to talk to a writer that does kind of tick those boxes yeah exactly I mean um, there are definitely sort of you know rising riders and Binder is definitely one of those uh, rising riders and then there's uh, uh, other riders I mean there's obviously you know the the the, the, the rookies I think you, I think you mentioned Izan Guevara um, uh, Steve the last time we we were talking um, um, there's rider and Pedro Acosta is another one of those you know young, young riders coming in um, but there's also sort of you know the riders I mean Jaume Massia is he going to finally make a breakthrough sort of thing he's at that age he's at that sort of level underneath uh, the Fanatis and the John McPhees um, uh, but he's at that sort of stage in his career that where he really needs to make a make make the next step in his uh, in, in his career um there are interesting uh, riders like that kaito toba i think is another one who showed real flashes of uh, strength and brilliance and um other times just really been quite disappointing so yeah it's uh, it, it's going to be a fascinating season um and of course you know the racing's always good what about you, Neil, of, of the experienced riders coming back? You've obviously mentioned McPhee there as well, but I always find it quite interesting to look at the Italian riders because they always seem to find sponsors. They always seem to find a way to stay on the grid. Antonelli is a, is a great example of that. Tons of talent, but he's been in the Moto3 class since I think it's 2012. So he's got all that experience in the class. We know what he can do. He's been able to win three or four races he's had a lot of podiums as well so we know that there's riders like that that can just suddenly turn it on and hook it all up do you realistically see a rider like that being your world champion at the end of the year or do you think is it going to be there's a reason why those guys have stayed in Moto3 I know we kind of touched on this already uh, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be betting, hedging my bets on on someone like Antonelli this year for sure. Um, I think it's more likely to be a guy that's maybe in his second or third season. Um, I know Dave mentioned uh, Jamo Masia. I mean, going off last year's standings, the top five in last year's Moto Three Championship have all stepped up to Moto Two. Masia was sixth in the championship, so you would have to say he's going to be one of the favourites. He's moved to Aki Ayo's team. Um, for the first time and Aki normally has a, a pretty decent eye for talent um, Massey I think is probably the most talented Moto3 rider on the grid but he's just wildly inconsistent um, you really don't know which kind of rider you're going to get um, but there definitely was a time at the end of or towards the end of last year um, where he was putting himself in winning positions pretty much every weekend only to kind of mess it up uh, on the final lap I think there was like four or five races where he did that. And then he won, I think, both races in Aragon. 
um, which showed that he kind of had it sorted out. And I thought, oh, okay, he's, he's, he's finally understood it, how to work out this last lap thing. And then we went to Valencia and he had a couple of awful races there. So you're like, okay, it's like we're back to square one again. So Massey, I think, is hard to read, but just on the basis of the team he's in and his talent, you know, he has to be a contender. Um, and then I'm also inclined to look at someone like Tatsuki Suzuki, I know that might be a bit of a left field choice, but um, I do think Suzuki is a fast rider on his day. He knows how to lead a race. He obviously makes way too many mistakes and injury pretty much ruined his campaign last year. But before that injury sustained at Misano, he was right in the running for the championship. I would be inclined to say Suzuki could be a, a runner as well. And then I'm quite interested to see a few guys that are in their second year in the class now, like um, Jeremy Alcoba, who won the Rookie of the Year last year, I thought was quite impressive, finished on the podium at the last race in Portimao. And uh, Dennis Onju as well, I really was quite impressed with uh, Dennis Onju's um, progress last year. Um, he's staying with Tech 3 KTM. Uh, KTM seemed to like him a lot. He's a young, excitable kid, a bit wild, um, but I think he has the talent to go all the way as well. So, yeah, I would say I'm expecting big things from those guys that I just mentioned. I, I think it's also important to talk about the role of the team. Um, and in this context, Masia is really interesting because he's with Aki Ayo and, you know, there is no doubting Aki Ayo's ability to identify and train champions. And yet um, Aki Ayo's system seems to either work or it doesn't. Um, you know, he did well with, uh, he, he did quite well with with Danny Kent, but Danny Kent didn't win the, win the championship with him. He was brilliant for Brad Binder. He gave Brad Binder exactly what he needed um, uh, to actually dominate that championship. Uh, but then, you know, Antonelli went to uh, Aki Io's team and really failed quite badly because he just couldn't fit into that. And the, the uh, Aki Io has a very uh, sort of clear style with riders, uh, a way of dealing with riders, and I think that either works or it doesn't. Again, I think, for example, Danisi Onchu in the, in Tech Three is a is another really interesting match because I like the way that Hervé Poncherel works with uh, works with young riders. Again, doesn't always work. It doesn't always. Uh, you can't always pull a pull it off. Leopard is another team which seems to produce really good riders and really good to, uh, um, uh, and really good results sometimes. Yeah, and I think, Dave, just like uh, what you were saying there about Aki, I was quite interesting because obviously we have Darren Binder on the show and uh, you know he was with IO for a year and it was a disaster. He had a podium, but pretty quickly it was clear that this wasn't a relationship that was going to end well and he's moved on. Now he's with another top team and he's, he now needs to use the lessons that he learned a couple of years ago with IO to really be able to mould that team around and make it work and that's what's going to be interesting. I think Neil, I'm quite interested to see what Alcoba does in the uh, Patreon special that we did, Paddock Pass Podcast Extra. I did actually pick Alcoba as my Moto3 World Champion but a lot of that comes down to the fact that I think this year is just going to be such a strange year. I think we've got a ton of riders that have loads of experience, but I don't really see them getting across the line to win a world championship. Alcoba was super fast at times last year, always in that top 10, but kept making mistakes. And I think maybe in year two, he might be able to iron out some of those. Yeah, I'd just like to add, um, I, I've kind of just been glancing down the, the entry list and I forgot to mention uh, Sergio Garcia, who has moved to Aspar's team, the Gas Gas entry this year. He had two years in the uh, Australia Galicia squad, um, super fast kid, like really, really raw, um, but one of those really slight, small kids and just, you know, you kind of felt at some stages last year and the year before that... He was just too young to kind of be able to put consistent results together, you know. But I think he's a real talent. He's a Valencian kid. He's going into a Valencian team. Um, it's the World Championship winning team, of course, from last year. Um, and for my money, although it means nothing, uh, that's the, now the, the nicest looking bike in the grid um, with those gas gas colors along the side. So maybe that's worth an extra half a tenth. I'm not sure. Um, so, yeah, I think I'll see as another guy that going into his third year now, he's 18 now, I think, in fact... He won't be 18, I think, until next month. But um, No, he turns yeah, 18 the, the week of the Qatar Grand Prix. Like we're recording ah, this okay. before he turns 18, but by the time the show goes out, he'll have just turned 18. Yeah. So, yeah, I think um, yeah, we have to expect big things from, from Garcia this year. Yeah, and I think Garcia is quite an interesting segue as well because he's already won a Grand Prix. He won at Valencia a couple of years ago and 
one of the guys that he he beat in that race that finished on the podium was Xavi Artigas and Artigas of course coming into the class now as a rookie and the rookie class is actually quite impressive there's a lot of riders coming up from CEV coming up from the Red Bull rookies we've already mentioned Pedro Acosta Izan Guevara as well so it is a pretty action-packed rookie class and uh, I think that there's a ton of talent that definitely is going to warrant keeping your eye on um, just coming back, you know, Steve, to your pick for world champion, we have to point out that Jeremy Alcoba was your was your your uh, nominated rider, but that was uh, after Dave and I had about ten other candidates that you went through. So it was a it was a something of a meek a meek uh, vindication of Jeremy's uh, yeah, candidacy for a for glowing recommendation <laughs> for Jeremy Alcoba by a process of elimination. <laughs> But a combination of your points of rook- of rookies and then Dave's about the importance of teams is the fact that there's a bit of a strange ideology when it comes to Moto3 because I think it's, let's take a rough number, 70% of the grid are actually trying to fork for their, their rides, their motorcycles out of their own pocket. You know, whether that's through uh, a benefactor mean or finding personal sponsorship, it's, it's not, you know, it's not a case of... Uh, you know, well-funded, uh, super, super talented riders all the way through the field. There's uh, there's uh, some harsh economics going on inside that category. So it's, uh, you know, Moto3, I think, is it obviously looks incredibly tough to get results, but I also think it's in, probably incredibly tough to get in, um, especially in, in the, the current sporting climate and what we've gone through in the last 18 months. Yeah, and I think actually I'd like one of the good points for that, or not good points, but one of the good illustrations of that is actually Alcoba. Because Alcoba is 19 years old. I think he had 50 or 60 starts in the CEV Moto3 class. So he, a bit like Juan Mir, had to keep sort of just waiting until a good opportunity came in or the right opportunity came in to get to the World Championship. But now that he is there, he's actually got an awful lot of Moto3 experience, even if it's not on a World Championship. And that could be one of those things that kind of gives him a little bit of an advantage in his second year relative to most other you know, 17-year-old kids in their second year. Absolutely, Steve. And it, again, it, another curious thing about Bono 3 is the way a rider can go in and have an instant impact, have the right case of timing and talent, such as Juan Mir. We're finding, you know, he was an ca- extremely capable rider with a good team and made an impact in his second season. And then contrast that with somebody like Remy Gardner, where, you know, his famous father was paying, you know, he told me a seven-figure sum over a period of years that he could be racing in Grand Prix. In the end, it paid off because Remy found, a, you know, finally a bike, a team, a package where he could show what he could do. But he had a couple of tough years trying to, you know, make the, a name for himself in Moto3. Um, you know, which obviously because of his surname was was double harder to do. So there there are a range of stories. It's um, you know, behind the scenes, uh, like as you know, Neil pointed out, he's he's got a lot of knowledge through commentating in the last couple of years. But in that kind of uh, strange section of the paddock, that's not really in the pit lane. It's in this kind of shabby uh, marquee, you know, where everyone's sort of squashed in together, where the motor three the bikes media are. center, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, let's not talk about the dodgy coffee machine either. So it's, uh, you know, there are some there are some pretty cracking stories there. Yeah, and we can probably put it down to the, the lack of the coffee machine ad. That's going to be another excuse that one of the Model 3 guys can roll out this year. I think you've added a new one to the pile. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, you have to also bear in mind, I think, that, you know, with the majority of these guys, they're teenagers. And I don't know about you guys and what you were doing when you were 19 years old, but uh, I certainly wasn't operating under the kind of intense uh, pressure and focus and glare that uh, these guys were operating under. And, yeah, that you sounds know, like does... an arts degree for you, Neil, 100%. <laughs> exactly, yes. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of sometimes when one of these guys is going through a tough period, I think, what would I have done at that age? You know, I probably would have just crumbled, you know, wouldn't have had the, the strength to, to, to pull it off. And, you know, you do change quite rapidly, I think, at that age as well. You know, you're going through some serious um, hormonal bursts. And, uh, you know, as, as a person, I think you're, you're maturing and, um, and, and growing up quite a big deal as well. So I think it's always worth bearing in mind that if someone's had a few crap years of Moto3, you probably shouldn't write them off completely because you are still able to turn a corner, understand life a bit more and probably understand yourself a bit better as well, which can um, can really add to, to your performance level. Yeah, and I think it's always worth remembering that these days in the Grand Prix paddock, there are no bad riders. It's not like it used to be where there could be a massive gap and as long as you had enough money, you could find your way onto the grid. When you look down the list of who's on the Moto3 grid, 
they're all guys that have you know won races or at podiums in CEV, Asia Talent Cup, Red Bull Rookies Cup. You know, there's no one that's just kind of you know, there's half a million quid, put me on your bike. That those days are long gone. Yeah, and it's not just um, money; it's also bikes. I mean, you know, the, the bikes are much much closer than they than they were before. If you look back at the two fifty and the one two five days, uh, I mean, apart from the fact that you had a sort of full factory bikes in there, uh, even the 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 difference between sort of you know the last bike and and the mid pack that would be a uh, a one or two year old uh, RS two fundy and you know a, a, a Yamaha two fifty from about eight years ago um, which just even with the best rider in the world and it would still be to sort of two seconds uh, two seconds a lap slower than everyone else so it's it's a much more level field that has also con- concentrated talent it's made it that um, uh, talent has become more important because riders can make more of a difference. Neil, you've already said that Darren Bender is going to be your world champion this year. So I'm going to ask you for who's going to be your surprise rider of the 2021 Moto3 World Championship. And then I'm going to ask David and Adam for their world champion and also their surprise rider. Um, it's a good question, Steve. I think there's a, a couple of pretty shit-hot rookies that are likely to, to spring a bit of a surprise. I mean, Pedro Acosta, Adam's already mentioned him. KTM are expecting massive things of, uh, of Acosta this year. Put him into Akiayo's team. Um, but I'm also quite intrigued by Javier Tigues, who's going into Leopard. I think he's a guy that could spring a surprise. And then also um, Izan Guevara, who won the uh, FIM Junior World Championship last year um, and did so with some quite remarkable displays in that series. Um, I think he won all three races at Aragon midway through the championship and a couple of those races he was coming through from like 20th or 24th all those races all, all those, those races, races coming yeah. from the seventh or eighth row of the grid yeah, and he's coming into the, the world championship winning team as well so uh yeah if i have to pick one of them let's go with uh izan Guevara. yeah he's likely to spring a surprise dave what about you um in terms of championship i think um uh, in our uh, in our uh, paddock park was it paddock pass podcast extra uh show i picked gabri rodrigo just to annoy you um uh, you succeeded admirably with that as well <laughs> exactly exactly so i'll change it up this time and um uh, i think i'm going to go with john mcphee because he has to do it he really has to do it this year uh and i have to go with pedro agosta as the surprise just because you know like he's in the right team he's been fast tracked he showed that he really really has the talent um uh there's a lot of pressure on him and it's going to be how he deals with the pressure i think which is going to be the most in- uh, interesting thing and Ad? For me, well, and Dave's copied my bet. You know, that means it's, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if he's cursed it or he's actually, you know, backing me up. But um, yeah, I think Mafi's going to cut out the mistakes that we saw from 2020. Um, there is a hint of like last chance about him, as we said. We can throw that cliche at him as well. Um, and I believe, you know, he's not only got uh, world championship success on his mind, but, you know, he's got a sort of bid for a Moto2 saddle. So there is various strands of motivation for John to make this his best season ever. In terms of surprise, I'm going to go for somebody a little bit more established. And I think Fernandez is going to, Romano Fernandez on Husqvarna is going to blot out a series of results that's going to, you know, make everyone think, well, you know, the guy is capable of consistency. Um, you know, this is going to be his second year on that bike in that team um, with Max Biaggi cracking a whip. And I'm sure there are a few fewer whips in the paddock with you know shards of glass and sharp things at the end of it to make you go quicker um so i think uh, romano will be feeling that if he's slacking off at all uh, so i wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if he is uh putting quite a few podiums together and in victories so that there's there's my uh there's my waffle I remember going to Qatar in 2012 and then Hareth a couple of weeks later. And uh, that was when Fanati went up against Vinales in Qatar and then won the Hareth race in the rain by about 25 seconds. And we all thought, you know, there's that superstar. And he's obviously still got all that talent there. It's just if he can get it out consistently. And it'd be great if he did, because it'd be a great story. Everyone loves that type of story of, you know, finally it all clicking into place and being able to get those results. But I don't really see it, to be honest. I think he's going to win. Uh, it, Hopefully, he wins, it, it wins a race or two. But I think it's just going to be... I think I, I, Maybe this is the year because the class is where it's rife for someone with that experience to make a count. 
But he's a nutter, and I think you know you, you kind if of like he's to a see nutter, the, the if strange bit. Yeah. You, 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 you kind of like to see that kind of character do well, don't you? And I just don't think you can argue against his experience. So now that he knows how, it, one of his biggest issues in 2020 was getting uh, the braking on the Husqvarna right and and sorting out his uh, his mid corner speed. And I reckon you know if he's managed to sort that out in Jerez in the in the test, and also in the couple of days they've got in Qatar coming up, which is starting now as we're recording, um, I think he'll be a tough man to beat. So there you go. The lesson of Romano Fanati is that um, talent isn't enough, uh, that character matters too. And Fanati is really, really fast, but um, he can't control his temper. He can't control himself enough to actually put a, put a championship together. I don't see him being the championship. He can absolutely win races, but I don't think he has the maturity. Dave, if all else fails, then just grab the front brakes of other riders and then they'll <laughs> slow down. Yeah, he's always got that up his sleeve in fairness to him. But yeah, no, I agree with Dave. I mean, he's, he's got the speed. There's absolutely no doubt he's got the talent. Uh, another thing is, is, is does he have the, the kind of the motivation and steady focus to put a, a full season together? And I just don't think he does. Um, you know, I was kind of amazed when I sat uh, down with his team manager. Uh, when was it? Two years ago when he had, was making his comeback with snipers racing. And um, it was at Le Mans and Romano was, had a great preseason, had a... You know, it was a second a lap faster than basically the rest of the Moto 3 field in preseason and then just had a succession of crap races at the start of the year. And it is, I went to find out what was going on. And his team manager told me that he was basically, you know, struggling for motivation. He, he didn't want to be in Moto 3 anymore. And, you know, with all that had gone on the previous year when he basically got chucked out of the class, you know, I find that quite, quite astonishing. But I think that's just the character that he is. You know, he's not, he's just not the most stable guy um, around. Yeah, temperament really matters. Yeah, and I think for me, I'm gonna. You know, I'm still kind of. I'm still kind of going to go with Alcoba. I still think Binder is probably. If I was putting money down, I'd probably feel a lot more comfortable putting it on Binder than anyone else. But I think you'll get these nods on Alcoba. He could spring a surprise. He's got a lot of Moto Three races under his belt in the Spanish Championship as well. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with a guy that's never won a Grand Prix, and then suddenly <laughs> it all coming good over the course of the season. And in terms of the rookies, I'm gonna go with Isan Guevara because I've seen him working in the CV Championship over the last couple of years in the European Talent Cup. He looked great. He looked fantastic last year in the Moto3 class, thoroughly deserved win, win, winning that championship. And he hunted down Pedro Acosta because Acosta started really strong. And the main reason that I'm going to go with Guevara over Acosta, and it's not really anything against Acosta, but it's more about the Red Bull Rookies Cup because I just I, I think the CEV championship is an awful lot better for being able to show us who's a potential star rider coming forward because there's been an awful lot of riders that have had a lot of success in the Red Bull Rookies Cup and it never really translated into the World Championships and Carol Hanneke won eight or nine races one year and we never really saw much from Hanneke you know you look down the list and you've got Misaki Sasaki Bo Ben Schneider all won championships I think they were all in consecutive years you know Florian Alt you know for every Johan Zarco there's three or four guys that never really managed to make it into the World Championship and, and have that kind of sustained success a lot of them are still Grand Prix riders but not that ultimate top tier. And I think that people expect Pedro Acosta to come in and be that top tier rider, which for me would kind of buck the trend of what those Red Bull rookies champions can do. But admittedly saying that, you've also got the likes of Jorge Martin. So sometimes it can happen. But for me, the CEV is a better judge of, of where the riders are. Yeah, yeah, I was just about to say, Steve, uh, Brad Binder, Jorge Martin, Juan Mir, they might all have uh, something to say about uh, what you just mentioned there. But Well, I said champions. Yeah. I said champions in fairness. Juan Mir didn't win the championship. When you look down the list, you know, like you've got J.D. Beach has obviously had a lot of success in America racing in super sport class, but never had the chances in Europe. Jake Gagne was a, was a champion as well. Jake, of course, came to World Superbikes for a year and uh, he's back in America. Jakob Kornfell, you know, Baldessari won the championship as well, you know. Decent riders, but you know they're not—they're not the riders that jump out. And and a lot of the time, it's the riders that were further down the field in Red Bull rookies that come through because you know the other riders that won the championship. I'll just—I'll go through the list: Zarco, Beach, Cornfell, Gagne, Baldassari, Florian Alt, Hanaka, Martin, Ben Schneider, Sasaki, Masaki, Kananchu, Carlos Tati, and Pedro Acosta. If you were a team manager sitting there and you had your choice of all the riders and that have come through the, the rookies and all that. I don't think there's too many that are going to be jumping off their seat to take two-thirds of those riders. And I think that Acosta could well be the one that 
comes through and is as good as he looked at times. But I think for me, Guevara was a, is a more exciting prospect for me to see what he's going to do this year. The, the big difference between the Red Bull rookies and um, CV is that the Red Bull rookies is you have no crew assistance. Basically, you have one mechanic and uh, a, a parent slash, uh, you know, a, a guardian who helps you, works on the bike, all the rest of it. So you've got no setup. Basically, the setup stays more or less the same through uh, through the whole of the year. In a motor, in CV, you have a proper crew where you have a crew chief and a mechanic and you get to look at data and work with data and work on on bike setup uh, and then you come into my three i remember being told about um uh, livio loy uh, the first time he came into uh, the mark vds motor three team and you know he, he went out for a test came back in sat down and uh, all of us like five people gather around to listen to what he's got to say, you know, the tyre guy and the data guy and the mechanic and the crew chief. And Livio just clammed up. He didn't know what to say. He was shocked at sort of... He was not used to telling people what he needed to do. So um, the, the Red Bull Rookies is really, really good for identifying pure riding talent and a little bit of racecraft. Moto3, CEV, I think, is more about developing a well-rounded motorcycle racer. Yeah, and I think that that could be one of the things that'll be interesting for Acosta because his team in CEV wasn't as good as Guevara's Aspar team. So that could be something that stands in his in, in his stead. I for me, I've just been blown away by Guevara over the course of the last two years. I thought he was really impressive in the Spanish Championship. It might count for nothing whenever he goes to the World Championship, but I've been excited to see what he can do going forward. So I, I'm quite keen to see how he can how he can adapt to it. And the good thing is the answers have to start rolling in pretty quickly as well because by the time this show goes out, the next day is the start of the 2021 season. Just before we wrap the show, Steve, I just have to say that I've texted Romano. Uh, he's going to give the podcast a listen and uh, Neil, he just told me to let, let him know what hotel you're staying in in Qatar. So, you know, if, if, he, if he does take some sort of umbrage and you've caught him on a bad day, then uh, it's been fantastic doing the podcast with you and uh, best of luck. All I'll say, Ed, is we're traveling to the circuit in a bus, not on a scooter. If I was on a scooter with a front brake, a front brake visible, then I'd be worried. But I think it should be okay in the back of a bus. All, all I'm going to say is room 312, Ritz-Carlton. That's Neil Morrison's room. <laughs> Get round there, Fanati. Um, Neil, it's been great to have you on the show. And uh, we're all looking forward to hearing you through the course of the Moto3 and Moto2 season. Thanks, Steve. Been a pleasure as always. And it's been a lot of fun chatting Moto3 with you. Obviously, we're going to have you all the way through the season as well on the Paddock Pass podcast. Yep. Friends of the gangsters. Been a pleasure joining you, Steve. Thanks. And uh, David, we're, we're stuck with you, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm, uh, I'm the gatekeeper of the... Uh, I'm the old gatekeeper in the class who uh, keeps a perfectly talented young rider out. So a uh, big thank you to all of you for joining us on the show. Big thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast and a real big thank you to everyone for supporting the podcast as well at patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast. We've had a lot of signups over the course of the last couple of weeks in the lead up to the start of the season, including none more so than Mammy Morrison. Susan Morrison, Neil's mom, did actually sign up, which also begs the question of uh, why Neil couldn't just sort her out with that himself and instead she's had to take it out of her own money. But, you know, we're not going to get we're not going to get into that at all, Neil. But a uh, big thank you to all three of for joining us on the show and a big thank you to everyone for listening to this week's Paddock Pass podcast presented by Fly Racing. This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. the start of the 2021 season you've already said brad binder uh, brad binder god almighty sorry brian brad binder brad binder god's sake you, you could have recovered from what, from i couldn't chapter, recover right? from that yeah. that was unacceptable it's yeah. terrible whenever you get siblings names wrong it's one of the things that really annoys me on commentary so i'm going to make sure that brian edits that out he can keep that in for our little fucking outtakes but no in the show it's coming out